Hey folks, welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge Television. Bass Edge Television is on Wild TV in Canada currently and will soon be back on the Versus Network as of January of 2008. This is Outdoors Dan Young and I've got my good friend Aaron Martin alongside. Aaron, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Dan. I tell you what, I'm excited. We have one of the nicest guys in professional fishing on this week's show, Bass Elite Angler Ken Brodeur. What a great guy. Oh, he is, and he uh, he brings some very, very pertinent information for this time of year. Plus, he's just hilarious, so it's going to be a real treat to have him on the show. Yeah, and if you're a gadget guy like I am, I mean, I'm ho- pardon the pun, I get hooked <laughs> when we start talking about new stuff. But we're going to have Brian Hensley of G. Loomis Rods on, and Brian's going to tell us what to look for and what not to look for when selecting that new rod. So great, great segment with Brian. Yeah, he's going to really help bring to light uh, how to narrow down your search when you walk into that tackle store and there's, you know, 150-plus rods hanging on the rack. So There you go. Hey, and don't forget, folks, we're going to answer the uh, email question of the week and also give away another prize to this week's lucky winner. It's all going to happen right here on The Edge. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Whoa, look at that son of a gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. All right, folks, strap on those safety belts because it's going to rock and roll right here on the edge this week. It's going to be fast and furious. And, Aaron, where in the world are you at? I'm uh, somewhere in Texas. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty far to the southwest of Texas uh, filming uh, for 2008 down uh, on Choke Canyon. So. Okay, how did Choke Canyon get its name, I have to ask? Uh, well, you know what? I'll have to get back to you on that. I'm going to have to find out, but I can tell you it is, uh, it's a, a federal park, and it has some of the most unreal uh, scenery. It's in the Texas brush country, uh-huh. and uh, you're going to be jealous whenever I bring back some of the pictures of the wildlife and the deer that we've been seeing down here. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for rubbing yeah. that in. <laughs> hey, I understand the shad runs pretty good right now. Oh, it's uh, yeah. I mean, this is the time of year to where you know really. Um, of course, it differs a little bit depending on where you're you're at geographically. But right now, you know, it is rocking and rolling in the backs of creeks. You know, the shad are making their way to the shallow water. Uh, it's just a great time to to get in and, and start throwing that that spinnerbait. You know, we've we've coming off the summer doldrums of of. Uh, really trying to finesse fish and catch them deep and now's the time of year you know to where you can really hit the banks in full force find those schools of shad and really get after it hey let me ask you a question buddy hey when you travel down south i i I don't notice that much of a change when i'm hunting as much but when you're fishing as much as you do professionally when you go like we're in the fall now Mm -hmm. when you go to a southern area like texas do you do you see patterns change with the seasons or does it stay constant down there no they they still change i mean it just you know if if you're in the north let's say um and coming to the south you're not going to notice them nearly as much uh me per se being in the midwest i mean you still uh there still is a subtle change but definitely those fish you know they, they they 
hold true. You know, this is the time of year that even down south that they're going to start their migration uh, as the winter nears uh, towards the backs of the creeks. That water temperature is starting to cool down. Those nights are cooling down, which really has a huge impact, you mm-hmm. know, are those cool nights and what those fish are doing. So, no, to answer your question, there's there's absolutely, it's no different than like the spawn, post-spawn. You still have those phases of, of fish movement. Okay, well, I was always curious about that, and I, I needed to clarify yeah. that with you. Hey, you know, one of the things that I, I want to talk about, or I hope you're going to talk a little bit about when we get in, later into the podcast, is spinnerbaits in the fall. I know that's one of my favorite times to throw them. How about you? Oh, no question. I mean, this is this is the time of year. You know, I'm going to stick with, even though that the, the jig and the crawdad-type baits are still effective, you know, the shad are moving right now, and those bass are getting ready to forage and feed to start putting that weight back on for the winter. Uh, their metabolism is, is increasing, and they're wanting to put that weight on. So I'm going to stick with more of the shad focused uh, style of bait which is a crankbait and a spinnerbait and uh, it's just a great way the other thing you know right now Dan and, and I know you growing up kind of the same way that I did the small streams in that that have been you know just came through all those dog days in the heat of the summer now we're into October um, you know those are really going to start turning on as those those winter rains fall rains start coming in it's going to bring that water temperature it's going to put more oxygenated water and what a better way to go out you know and get on that river and uh, just just do some small stream fishing. Yeah, actually, it's one of the better times of the year to fish. That's right. That's you right. know, it's and it's it, you can't beat the colors. You get the you get the beautiful scenery, and you get to get some chunky nice basses as well when you get out there in them streams. Right. Plus, it's just pleasant to be out there. You know, the temperatures, well, the humidity's low, and so a lot of good yeah, things. Yeah, it's a great time, folks. We need to take another short break. When we come back, uh, we're going to hear from bass elite angler Ken Broder, and like Aaron said, he's just a great guy. We're also going to have some other awesome stuff right here on the edge. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. All right, we are back on The Edge and joined today by BASS elite competitor, Mr. Ken Broder. Ken, how are you doing? Pretty good, Aaron, and yourself? Oh, very well. Thanks so much for being part of the Edge. Hey, my pleasure. I'm just uh, sitting here waiting for the oil man to show up. It's getting chilly up here in Connecticut. <laughs> i got to start turning the heat on because I'm just not used to this 40-degree weather uh, right you're now. You're kidding me. Man, I'm, I'm, glad you're, I'm glad you're further north than what I am. That's all I can say. You know, but uh, with the, the cooling temperatures brings about uh, some, some pretty good fishing that's coming up with, with the transition, you know, coming out of the summer patterns into the fall. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, actually, I'm I'm kind of excited about it because uh, this is a great time of the year. It's already started up here. The water temperatures are dropping. You know, these cold nights get these uh, get these uh, water temperatures down, and these fish are going to start putting on the feed bag here in the next week or so. And uh, I'm really looking forward to to getting on top of some of that fishing. You know, when you talk about Ken, like the the transition and, and the the fish, the bass getting ready to put on the feed. What is, in your opinion, what is taking place, you know, right now in the <clears throat> year? Well, the the fish, the the bait, primarily the shad, are going to start moving up into these these shallow creeks, and the bass are going to follow right behind them, 
and get them cornered up in, in some of these shallow areas and just start feeding heavily, putting on some extra weight, a little extra fat to get them through this, this cold winter that we got coming up. And how, how easy are those fish to catch? I mean, if you were to, were to grade those, you know, compared to the summertime fishing, um, you know, is it, in your opinion, is it easier or just about the same as far as difficulty in, in, in gaining success on the water? No, I think success is going to be a lot easier when these fish get up into the shallow waters for their for their winter feed. You know, it's it's more difficult. I find it more difficult to catch them when they're out deep. And when you can get these fish up shallower and, and next to some structure that you can see, a lot of times and most of the time, it's a lot easier to catch them um, when you're up in that shallow water. It gives them less area to hide. So, kind of breaking it down because obviously this transition, you know, is is different. Uh, depending on where you're at geographically across the country. But can you give us a rundown of, of areas and, and specific types of, of structure and banks that you're looking to target, uh, depending upon where you're at? Let's take uh, Champlain, for example, uh, kind of a home lake up here in the northeast. You know, we don't have a lot of big creeks and things for the shad to go up into, so they're going to spend more time in shallow coves, for example, compared to some of the lakes down south. You know, Clark's Hill have those nice big creeks and, and some of the other lakes down there. Actually, a lot of the lakes down there have the big creeks that the shad are going to move up into the creeks instead of the coves like they do up here in the, in the northeast. And, you know, then as you move, let's say, into, is, is there really a transition that takes place, like, say, as far south as, as Florida in that? I mean, do you still have that, that transition? I think there, there's a transition everywhere, even down into uh, southern Texas where, you know, it's still going to cool off. The water temperature is going to drop. So I, I think, yes, you're still going to have that transition no matter how far south you go. You know, so, so breaking that down, let's say, and, and you're pulling up to, um, you know, a new lake uh, for the first time. What are some of the areas that, you know, do you just pick a creek and, and go to the back of it or a or bigger cove? Or how do you decide which, where to start, I guess? I would start in the creeks. Pick the biggest creek on the lake which, that has some deep water and some shallow water. And um, I would start in there. You know, use your graph, use your electronics a lot to see if you can mark some bait on, on some of the main points in, in the creeks. You've got to determine how far into their, into their fall feeding they are. I mean, they could be at the mouth of the creek just getting ready to move in, or they could be, you know, way into their pattern be at the in the back of the creeks some of these creeks are a mile two miles three miles long so you need to look around with your electronics see if you're marking the bait if you are then start fishing if you don't see any bait it's not worth stopping because they are where the bait is right now at this time of the year so are you normally let's say when as you're pulling in and using your electronics do you, do you just start right there at the mouth of it and then watch your electronics all the way back and then go up the other side and come out or what's i would uh i would spend more time you know again you're trying to figure out how far into the creek they are start at the mouth and then just look for the bigger points as you're going in the creek i wouldn't idle you know two miles up into the back of the creek i would spend more time just hitting the the major points in that creek. And then once you get an idea how far back they are, you can pretty much figure it's going to be the same way for the rest of the creeks. We find the bait two-thirds of the way back in one creek. It's probably going to be about the same in the rest of the creeks throughout the lake. So as you break that down, you know, you, we, you hear often a lot 
about points. You know, why are points, whether it be a primary point, and, and maybe you could go into a little detail of explaining the difference between a primary and a secondary, but why are points so effective when it comes to targeting bass? I guess points are kind of a, a nice place for them to stop. You have a lot of, you know, flat bank, and all of a sudden you have a point coming out. It's, it's large, you know, for the, for the fish. It's large enough so they could spend you know, a large amount of time there if they need to stop and, and feed and just kind of breaks up probably some of the current coming out of the creeks. And, uh, you know, a lot of those points, at certain points actually, have some harder bottom on them, maybe some stumps compared to the rest of the lake, which might just be some muddy, nasty-looking bottom. Well, I know from experience, you know, the, the points with that being not only an ambush point like you brought about with regards to if there's any current being generated at the at that point in time uh, that provides them with a break, but also then, you know, you couple that with some structure, say some pole timber or some floating docks or some things like that, um, then that, that really provides you with kind of the, the best of, of both worlds. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if you can get it with stumps, docks, maybe a little grass on it, you know, the more cover or more different types of cover you can get on a, on the, on a point, the, uh, the more fish it's probably going to hold. So what is your, in, in your opinion, what's kind of the, the magic water depth if there is such a thing? I mean, are you looking for a specific, um, you know, continuous stretch of, of creek channel? Uh, does it have to be a certain depth, or how do you break that down? You know, I think that's part of the search, um, depending on what lake you are and how far back into the creeks they are, because the shad are going to be moving up shallow and shallower as, as time goes on. Um, and the bass are going to be, like I said, right behind them. So I think once you find where the bait is and how deep they are on your graph on that initial search, you will also find that the bass are going to be at that same depth. So in talking about searching, what is, what's the type of baits that you would be keying in on this time of year um, as your search baits? This is a great time for crankbaits, spinnerbaits, um, you know, maybe a little bit later when the water cools off a little bit more, you know, some top water. But I would definitely be throwing a crankbait and a couple spinnerbaits uh, searching. I mean, it's a great time for those, you know, cover a lot of ground, fish fast, and, and get some great bites and some great fishing. So you're predominantly wanting to stay with more of the shad mimicking baits, is that correct? Correct, yep. All shad colors. Uh, you know, if, if uh, they were schooled up around some rocks, you know, maybe some rocky points, you might want to slow down, maybe fish a jig a little bit, just maybe get a bigger bite. But I would definitely spend most of my time with the shad, shad-type uh, crankbaits and spinnerbaits. So whenever you're breaking down a, a body water, especially for those of us who maybe it's the, the first time that we've went to this particular body of water, do you try and cover as much of the lake as what you can, or do you key in or hone in on a specific area of the lake and try and figure that out? My, my personal preference is spending as much time as possible in a small area of the lake. Try to look at the lake and make sure it has a large variety of cover so you can fish it in a small amount of time and try to figure out a pattern you know, within a small area instead of having the fish a creek here and then run 10 miles to fish another cove and you know you want to try to get everything in one area once you kind of figure a pattern out then start running the lake you know run the 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 miles that you need to and, and expand on your pattern and then is there a particular structure that you like to to target or 
Are you just watching your electronics and looking for the fish? I'm, I'm pretty much looking for the bait at, at, at this time of the year. You know, again, the, the structure would be uh, points, primarily points. What about as far as, you know, colors? Um, is there that much variation between, say, north to south, east to west on the, the colors of baits that you need to, to utilize? I think the color of baits depends on the, the water clarity. You know, in, in uh, up north here, we have a lot of clear lakes, and, you know, we throw a lot of white, a lot of uh, natural colors wear down in some of the uh, southern lakes and, and uh, some of that stained water, you know, the chartreuse chartreuse blue and uh, colors along those lines seem to work a little better in the stained water so when you're when you're throwing let's say chunking and winding the, the crankbait or the spinnerbait you know what about let's switch gears a little bit to to the terminal tackle i mean yeah. what you know type of line um you know fluorocarbon versus braid versus mono pound test Can you break that down for us okay um let's start with uh crankbaits Typically, crankbait, I'm using 10-pound test. Um, don't really need the fluorocarbon. I usually use just straight mono. Um, Spinnerbaits, a little heavier, 15- to 20-pound test. Um, again, fluorocarbon I don't think is a big advantage. Um, I stick with the straight mono. Uh, if I'm throwing a jig, uh, which I do occasionally, you know, I'll, uh, I'll probably switch over to some braid on that. Definitely some fluorocarbon. And uh, the reason why you would make that transition from mono on the crankbait spinnerbait to either the braid or the fluorocarbon on the on the jig? Uh, the jig, if if the shatter up in the grass, I'll, I'll put the uh, oh spider wire type, um, you know, braid on if I'm in the grass with the jig. And then if they're on rocky points, um, I will I will use the uh, fluorocarbon. You know, 15 to 20 pound fluorocarbon on a on a point wouldn't be a bad thing. You know, the jig they're going to get closer to it, see more of it, so the fluorocarbon will be you know will get you more bites for sure. And then you know, specific to let's say the the crankbait and the spinnerbait, starting with the crankbait, you know, are you, are you a big believer that the red hooks? You know, a lot of people will switch out their hooks on their their crankbaits or their top waters. Um, Absolutely. Is is that a big big? It, you know, I, it is. I, I, every crankbait I have, I, I have red hook on at least one. You know, some overkill, maybe two, but at least one red hook on all of my crankbaits. Absolutely. And what about as far as using a, a trailer, just like a plastic trailer on a spinnerbait? Um, sometimes I do, depending on what the fish want, and sometimes um, you don't. I mean, uh, I think it's a trial and error thing, but most of the time I start without the trailer. If they need a bigger profile, then, you know, I'll put the trailer on there. And then do you throw a trailer hook on your, or a stinger hook, as some, some would call it, uh, on the spinnerbait? Absolutely. Every time I throw a spinnerbait, it has a trailer hook on it, unless I'm throwing it in some heavy, heavy wood. But uh, you always got to have that trailer hook on. I can't count how many times I've, you know, had that that fifth fish that you needed on the, on that trailer hook and, you know, end up filling your limit and, and uh, getting a check. Then what about blade style? You know, are you more leaning towards the Colorado or the Indiana or the, or the Willow? Oh, boy, you, you really, there's just so many blades nowadays. But, I mean, uh, try to keep it simple, you know, this is my motto there. With um, You know, in the clear water, I fished a tandem 
tandem willows, a little dirtier. I'll fish a Colorado with a willow. And pretty rare that time of the year uh, would I fish just a straight Colorado or a straight willow, but usually a combination of, of either the double willow or a Colorado and a willow. And using the watercolor predominantly to decide which blade you're using? Yes. In the clear water, I'll throw the, the willows, the double willows, and a little dingier water. I'll put on the uh, Colorado on there, give it a little more vibration, a little more thumping. And that's because the water's a little dirtier, so they're more prone to, to vibration versus sight? Right. They'll be able to find it a lot easier with that thumping blade on there and that dirtier water. Correct. You know, you're also uh, very proficient at throwing a drop shot. You know, does that come into play this time of year? Not for me. You know, I, I'm I'm ready to chuck and wind. I, I've been fishing slow for the last three months and four <laughs> months, and boy, I want to pick something up and just burn down those banks and you know get on some of them points and you know get that big hit on that spinner bait. I mean, gosh, yeah. No, not not a big thing for me in the fall. Not at all. Let's let's change gears a little bit. You know, you've been on on the road for what six months seven months yeah we started in march so mid-february yes yeah, seven months you know how does that play with kind of you know just the mental aspect of of fishing you know can you talk a little bit about you know what it's like to to have to travel and you know and, and decipher these these lakes that you know some that you've never been to in the, in the last closing couple minutes here you know it it uh it, it's not an easy thing going to a, one of those you know 100 thousand acre lakes and and trying to figure out where to fish so i spend a good part of my time right now this time of the year we just finished up with our last tournament on toho researching these lakes and 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 spending endless hours you know on the internet talking to people or whatever you need to do just to try to get that little bit of information that might keep you from running around like a chicken with his head cut off yeah you know um and, and and even after after that you, it's still there's still a lot of water there to cover sure and, so you, uh, like you predominantly said, will start out with just map study and then get on the internet and then also have verbal conversations maybe with some of the the people whom have either fished that before or, or even locals mhm absolutely most of the guys that have fished it before you know not not too much um, you know, it's just so many locals. I mean, which one do you talk to? I mean, you know, so I try to pick other guys through, you know, that are in the Elite Series or Fish BASS or uh, FLW. Well, Ken, you've been uh, just a world of information and certainly appreciate you taking time out to uh, answer some of our questions here on the edge. And I know you just recently qualified uh, again for next year on the on the Elite Series, so congratulations there, and we certainly wish you uh Wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. We'll talk to you soon, Ken. All righty. Have a nice day. Well, Aaron, I got to tell you, he truly is uh, just a really wealth of knowledge. And Ken Broder has got to be one of the funniest guys I've ever heard <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> you got to spend a day in the boat with him. But uh, no, as, as pleasant as what he is, I, I just thought he did a great great job you know and, and he shares our sentiments in the fact that you know this is one of his favorite favorite times of of year to fish mm-hmm. now he brought up top water and i got i got to be honest with you when i'm out fishing again i've said this i know numerous times on the podcast uh rattle traps shad wraps are some of my favorite baits and spinner baits as well 
topwater, you know, I'm not as proficient as I am with those other baits, but you know what? He brought up some great points to try them. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the thing is that just because up high, uh, being exposed to the elements on top of the water, even though that temperature, that air temperature may be dipping way down and you have those wide gyrations of, of temperature fluctuations, it does not mean that that stability is not under the surface level. And, uh, you know, as that water starts cooling down, uh, those fish, they're going to move up there, and if those shatter there and they're hungry, they're going to eat them. And what a great way to to put some in the boat by throwing a buzz bait or a spook, you know, or, or a popping bait, um, and cash in on some of that explosive action. Sure, my two favorite topwater baits uh-huh. is a pop R and a spook. What's yours? Uh, actually, I'm going to have to say a buzz bait and a z-claw which is a little bit like a spook but it has an arched back it's actually made by specialty tackle they're Mm -hmm. they're not real um, prevalent in the u.s i mean you can find a few of them somewhere but instead of it standing on its nose and keeping its nose elevated in the air like a traditional spook does this one lays more more level and that arched back what it does is it makes a z a zigzag in the water and uh man it's just a different look and I've, i've had a lot of good success on that no i bet you have well, I tell you what, folks, we need to take another break. When we come back, we're coming to the Outdoors Dan special. <laughs> it's the product giveaway and listener email section of the podcast. We're right after these words. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. All right, folks, welcome back to The Edge, and it's my favorite time, and Aaron's starting to warm up to it as much as I am. It's the listener email and giveaway section of the show. This week's prize winner receives an Ardent Real cleaning kit. You know, that's not fair. I haven't got one of those yet. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna have to send you one of those. I'm still waiting. Okay, you know, Christmas is almost here, okay, a couple months away from Christmas. I want my Ardent Real cleaning kit, and I want my Bass Edge Blaze Orange Pro shirt. I'm telling you, until you agree to wear the do rag, no, nothing goes. <laughs> well, let's see who gets my real cleaning kit because I've evidently that's where they're going. All right, all right. And that includes grease cleaner, oil brushes, everything. Really, you need to take care of those reels and keep them in top shape. And it goes out to uh, Jeff in Santee, California, another Californian. Aaron, yep, what's going on? We're, uh, I think, the, the West is starting to kick in here. So uh, let's throw a challenge out. Uh, let's just do that. Let's let's uh, let's throw a little contest out. And uh, we'll send them some, uh, let's do this, we'll send them all uh, a bottle of mothers on whoever we get the most emails from the east versus the west. And let's just make the line, uh, what do you want to make it? Where's a good place to make the line at? Uh, let's, uh, let's draw the line in Kansas. Okay, from Kansas west, including Kansas. Yeah. All right. That works for you? That works for me. So uh-huh. whoever we get the most from, everybody from the west will get uh, a free bottle of mothers. Well, there you go. That's so. a deal. All right. Yeah, all right, so congratulations for right now, Jeff. I hope you enjoy that Arden cleaning kit. And uh, the question of the week is from Jason in Jackson, Mississippi. There's a southern boy. Jason, uh, he wants to know, do you prefer the light wire hooks or heavier gauge hooks for your jigs, Aaron? Great question, and I'm going to say the answer is yes, Dan. Yes. Well, you're going to have to elaborate, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, you know they, they don't want a yes or no. I mean, no, actually, okay, I prefer both, said, and that's, that's why said, I did that. Yeah, since uh, you said yes, can you can you ex- 
expand mm. on why you like that. Most definitely. Actually, I like them both. Uh, for flipping heavy cover, you know, <laughs> when I really want that the the extra strength, I guess, would be a good way to put it, of that hook to pull them out of that grass or that brush pile uh, without taking the chance of bending those hooks over. Because you know, two things. One is when you're pulling out of heavy cover, you know, just the stress if they nose in against the the grass, uh, you're going to put a lot of pressure on them. Plus, if you get a big fish on and you're going to boat flip them and, and pull them out of that, you know, a lot of times you can straighten those hooks out. So when I'm doing that, I want to make sure I've got that heavier gauge style of hook. However, for the the football style head, you know, I want to use uh, that light wire hook. Um, you know, because often I'm, I'm fishing that in a popping motion or in a slack line situation, and I want to make sure that I get maximum penetration with the least resistance on the hook set. Because when that hook falls or that jig falls, rather, a lot of times you can't, you don't really feel that thump. It's just a change. And when you pull back up on that to make your your next um, pop or your your jerk on that hook, all you do is feel resistance. And a lot of times you just got to start reeling. So you want to make sure that you can drive that hook through, and the less resistance on the diameter of that hook is is going to help do that. So. Well, that's a great question from Jason, and I hope Aaron helped you there, buddy. You ever been to Jackson, Mississippi? Uh, actually, I have. Our uh, buddy uh, and pro staffer Pete Pons lives down uh, close to Jackson. Yeah, they got great food down there. Absolutely. You're always about the food. I am. I'm a foodaholic, man. <laughs> what do you expect? Hey, folks, don't forget to send in a question or a comment, and you will be put into the weekly drawing. And to do that, all you, it's real simple. All you need to do is go to podcast at bassedge.com with your name and address. Put it in the body of the email, and we'll get you covered. We need to take our final break, and when we get back, it's the product section of the show, and we're going to learn all about Gene with Ross from Brian Hensley right here on The Edge. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's Tackle System by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Okay, we are back on the edge and joining us to help shed some light on uh, the multiple different rods that are out there is Mr. Brian Hensley. Brian, uh, thanks so much uh, for being here on behalf of G. Loomis Rods. Oh, I, I appreciate you having me on the, on the show. It's, it's, uh, it's a joy to be there. You know, Brian, one of the things that I can remember in starting out, and this goes for baits or anything, but specific to this conversation is rods. You know, when you walk into any, whether it be big sporting goods store or even, uh, you know, just your, your local flavor tackle shop, uh, there's a tremendous amount of rods that, that show up. Uh, can you shed some light on, you know, whether it be for a recreational angler or even a, a tournament competitor, how do you break down what rod um, you know that you need, and what's the best one for your application? Uh, well, one thing I would probably look for is uh, if I was fishing with, let's say, six to maybe ten pound test line, I'm going to go with a spinning rod. Uh, so that eliminates probably half or, or close to half of the rods. If I'm using, uh, oh, let's say, twelve to twenty-five or thirty pound line. Obviously, I'm just going to do casting there. So that, that again, eliminates about half the rods. Uh, the other thing is they usually have them broke down by manufacturer, uh, which uh, you, you can transfer to a price range, how much you want to spend on a rod. You know, different manufacturers about roughly what they're going to cost. 
there, there's several ways to do that. Mm-hmm. What about as far as, you know, can, can you talk a little bit about, like, length and and you hear a lot about the action? You know, some sure. have a fast tip, some, you know, continue a heavy action all the way throughout. You know, can you can you talk a little bit about universal, you know, what's the best type to do multiple applications and then also get into, you know, some more technique specific to where if you just want to purchase a rod, say, to throw a spinnerbait or flip a jig or something like that, how do you make that decision? Okay. Uh, length, in, in my opinion, again, this is my opinion, but uh, anytime you can go a little bit longer on a rod, I think it's better for the fisherman. A, uh, what, what that'll do is, let's say, a 7-foot rod versus a 6'6 six, six or a 6-footer. The extra length gives you more casting distance, and it also gives you more leverage and control when you're fighting that fish, uh, both of which are, I think, advantage to the fisherman. Now, maybe the one drawback is uh, a 7-foot rod may not be quite as accurate as a 6'6 six, six or a 6-foot rod for casting or if there's a lot of overhanging limbs. So that's something else, you know, the fisherman may want to look for. Uh, action, kind of, I, I break that down into the baits that, that a, a fisherman's throwing. If you're throwing, uh, you're flipping, throwing heavy jigs, something like that, definitely a very fast action, fast to extra fast in it. And what that means is, uh, a, a fast to an extra fast action, almost all the flex is in the first, oh, say 10 to 15% of the rod. That's what bends when, when the angler either sets the hook on a fish or is, is flipping, pitching, whatever. Um, let's go to the opposite end. He's thrown maybe a crankbait. Uh, a crankbait typically has very small treble hooks. Uh, the fish is usually jumping a lot on it. You want a slow maybe a moderate, a moderate to a slow action. And what that is, is the rod will bend pretty much over the whole length of it. It'll bend almost back into the handle, and it'll be a very even bend, as to, opposed to a fast or an extra fast, which is bending at the tip. So it helps act as a, as a shock absorber. Exactly. And that's, that's the way I like to, it seems to make sense when I explain it that way. It's like a shock on a car. You know, you always want you always want your tire in contact with the road. If not, it's a very bumpy ride. Um, you always want that rod to be in contact with the fish. You never want it to go straight, especially when you're at least on a on a very small hook bait like a crankbait or a jerk bait or a pop bar. Um, you always want some bend in that rod so there's some some give and some play, and it, it never gets too stiff or too loose. If it gets loose, chances are there's a there's a little hole where that hook is gets too loose, it just pops out. And Chances are you're not going to get that fish in the boat. Yeah, that's that's not good. You know, and I compare um, a lot of times when, when I'm asked this question about rods and, and that, is it's just like a set of golf clubs. You know, you carry, let's say, nine irons exactly. in your bag. Um, each of those irons are very functional to do a specific task, you know, whether it be distance or a finesse shot. Do you look at your, and view your rods the same way? Exactly. That is a great way to put it. You did an excellent job. Um, you, you know, when I go fish, I probably I'm worse than I am a set of golf clubs. You've got your your flipping your flipping sticks. Then usually I go down into uh, just a heavy action seven foot rod. Uh, then to a medium heavy, maybe throwing like I said, if you've got some place where some overhanging limbs or you're very accurate in your cast, go down to one rod or two rods that are six six. Uh, and then you switch over to your crankbait rods. You really need at least a medium and a medium heavy, and if you can, you may even want to throw a few of those uh, in the heavy action in there, maybe something in a medium light. 
So it, it's definitely like the golf club scenario. Maybe I think if the guy's very uh, uh, specific and really into it, fishes a lot, it maybe is even worse. Sure. You've got to have more. Sure. Well, and, you know, Gene Loomis has, has built, obviously, is standing on, on quality for, for a long period of time and certainly positioned them well in the market for, for quality. But even within your product offering, um, you have different price ranges and different degrees of composite material, um, things along those lines on how they are actually con- constructed. You know, can you talk a little bit about the differences between how these, you know, how do you break down when you see a rod that has, you know, a, a certain series that's at one end of the price spectrum versus another one that's at the lower end of the price spectrum? What are you actually sacrificing there with regards to quality, sensitivity, strength, all those type of things? Well, what, probably the biggest difference is you're just, just like what you said, you're, you're either gaining or sacrificing lightness and sensitivity. That's the two big things. Um, what G. Loomis has is they have uh, basically four graphites they make all their rods out of, GL2 being the entry level, uh, pretty affordable in the, uh, oh, maybe $140 range. Uh, next goes to GL3, then IMX, and then GLX is the top of the line. Uh, as, as you go up within those graphites, you, you gain a lot of sensitivity, you lose the weight, uh, but you unfortunately also gain the price, but... Uh, there's been so many people I've talked to that uh, has a story about how just that one rod won them a boat or won them this tournament or a club tournament. So really, relatively speaking, the price is really pretty small, and uh, what you gain is pretty great. Well, and, and with that being said, you know, I know some of my rods, uh, I have still to this day have two that I had from when I started very, very early on. And, of course, you know, put it on different eyes and some things like that through uh, user error, I should say. (laughs) We'll leave it at that. But, you know, when I pick those up, uh, the difference of what you could feel, and especially like on a a jig rod, you know, throwing that big football jig to where it stays in contact or a Carolina rig rod to where you're really feeling and getting an understanding, that transfers through the handle into what you're feeling. And and that sensation, you know, I mean, it's, it's like the difference between trying to see at night versus seeing in the daytime. Oh, it's, it's, uh, if you listen to a lot of the great anglers, I remember a quote from Rick Klon when he won, I think it was on Arkansas River. He was like, you know, someone said, well, why did you fish here? What was the key? He said, well, I could see the fish. And, you know, it was like 12 foot or 10 foot or whatever, muddy water. You couldn't see the fish. I think that's what the G. Loomis rods do to folks is you can, you can see what's down there by going with the higher grade of graphites like the IMX or the GLX. You can tell, is that football jig? Okay, it's coming over a rock, just came over a big rock. Okay, oh, there's a piece of wood. Maybe let it sit there by that piece of wood. And you can, you can by that feel, get a picture of what's down there on the bottom. Um, same thing goes for weeds. You can tell the difference. Is that coontail, milfoil? Is it cabbage? You know, if they're just in the cabbage, you're retrie- retrieving your bait, you're not feeling cabbage, you're not in the right area. You need to move a little bit. And uh, that's that's an advantage for you too. Sure. And with that being, you know, one of the components that's the direct link between you and the fish, uh, certainly that, you know, especially in a competitive situation or even in a recreational, you know, what I always like to, to the phrase I like to use is it's all a competition regardless if you're in, you're in sure. a tournament or not. You're competing well, against the fish, and the more bites that you can sense and feel, the more fish you're going to put in the boat. Well, you know, you know, Aaron. Even the guy that maybe he only fishes once a year or twice versus the guy that fishes every weekend or three days a week. Well, that guy only fishes once or twice a year. His time is 
super, it's that much more valuable than the guy, you know, the guy that fishes three times a week, he's going to be out there all the time. Sure. The guy only fishes once or twice, that's it. He wants to make the most of it. That's right, that's right. And it's about, you know, maximizing that experience because that's really why we do this is to have a, you know, a rewarding experience and and, exactly. and have fun in the outdoors. And one of the things that I alluded to a little bit earlier was, you know, the some of the rods that I've had for a long period of time and then having to put re-eyes, you know, redo the eyes and, and send them off to get those done. But now you have, you know, what's called the, those snapback eyes that are on there, which are, to mm-hmm. me, the greatest thing since sliced bread because of the simple fact of... I. So many times I bust ceramic or break the eyes off by stepping on them on the front deck of my boat. Mm-hmm. You know, how do those work? Well, these things are great. What, what they are is they're recoil guides. They're called REC, recoil guides. They're made out of nickel titanium. And just what you said, you don't have the ceramic insert in there to pop out. Or if you would step on it, a lot of times you step on it, you pop that ceramic out. You can never get it back to the right shape. Even if you do and you try and glue it, it's going to keep coming out. So you don't have that. Uh, the other thing, like I said, if you, you step on it, it flexes back because it's a titanium. It flexes back to its original shape. Um, the other thing, too, is they're lighter than a traditional guy. Now, it depends on size and all that, but on average, it's about 50% lighter. So, again, uh, the angler gains some comfort. Uh, the other thing is uh, they, they won't rust. They'll never rust or anything. Uh, they're more sensitive. Uh, that it's it's I've played when when they came out you know because I'll be honest aesthetically they don't look the best mm-hmm. but functionally they are one of the greatest things that's came along in a long time in rod components so what I did is I took some rods took the guides off put those rods on okay let's let's give it a test I know what it was like I got a rod here that's identical to it with a traditional guide on it it's unbelievable the difference in sensitivity and lightness that those rods. I've got buddies back here around the house that uh, are taking the rods and putting all these REC guides on them. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's one of the things, you know, you talk about lightness, and, you know, probably some of our listeners are thinking, what in the world does that have to do with it? But bottom line is I think that's one of the things that's taken for granted is when you're spending a, a full day um, out on the water and then doing that back-to-back in some cases, you know, there's whatever weight that you can remove and not sacrifice sensitivity, and in this case, adding to it, uh, that makes a big difference come you know come the next day of how your forearm's feeling. Oh, it's a, it's a huge amount of difference, and you know let's face it, if you're out there fishing, you don't want to be uncomfortable. You know, about eleven o'clock, if you can go fishing Saturday, and that's the only day you can go fishing, about eleven o'clock, your arm's like, man, I'm about ready to fall off here because I've been casting so much. It's no fun anymore. Sure. Well, in our closing minute here, let's talk about warranty because that's that seems to be an overused term in the industry now and there's you know everybody has a warranty um what explain what the 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 g loomis warranty is and how that works well it's there's actually two parts to it aaron there's a a a lifetime warranty now it is limited like most companies it's limited to workmanship and materials uh if it's defective uh you know just send it back and they'll replace it and they're going to check and see, though, that it's defective. And if it's not, they'll call you and tell you it's not. But they're really good about that. It works very simple. The other thing that I want to spend a lot of time with, or more, most of our time, is what's called the expediter. Because it's a little trickier, but it's probably the greatest deal out there, I think, on warranties. And what the expediter is, is uh, what I always like to pick on my neighbor. He took a rod one time, and he had it in his boat. And for whatever reason, somehow he shut it in the garage door, broke it. Well, most times you tell a guy that, you get down technical, or a company, excuse me, um, broken garage door, and well, you know, sorry about your luck, you're going to have to buy another rod. It wasn't defective, so why should we replace it? 
Well, what he did with G. Loomis is he called up 1-800-G-Loomis. I want to use your expediter program. And what they did is they charged his credit card right then 50 bucks, And it's, it's $50, no questions asked. It doesn't matter what model, whether it's a $700 GLX, $100 GL2, it's $50. You don't have to explain how you broke it, where, none of that stuff. That day, they immediately ship him out whatever rod he had, brand new, brand spanking new. He gets that rod, he pulls it out, and there's a label affixed to it. He takes it off that, that sock that the, the new rod's in, puts it on the outside of the tube, puts the old broken one in there, here's the catch, puts the old broken rod in there, hands it back to the UPS driver if he's there, if he's there and can be that quick about it, he is done. And basically in most places in the U.S., I'm almost the other side of the country from him, uh, about four or five days, I've got a brand new rod, no questions asked, I didn't have to hassle anything. It's 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 just awesome. Wow, wow. Well, that certainly puts you at peace of mind, especially yeah. uh, of trying to get a new rod. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, you know, Aaron, too. If you're let's say you're fishing a tournament, you know, somewhere, and uh, you broke a rod, or you broke a rod in practice, and you were you were flipping, you were back on the Potomac, and you're flipping, you broke your flipping stick. They'll mail it to your motel out there. Wow, wow. Well, that certainly speaks volumes for what uh, G Loomis stands for and the quality that you you guys have continuously shown. Well, you know it. it I wish we had more time, but unfortunately, Brian, we are out of time. Oh, and uh, why don't you tell our listeners how, how they can find out more information about, uh, you know, not only some of the products, but also the warranty concerning G. Loomis. Okay. Um, in, any shop has a catalog. It's in there, too. If, uh, you know, nowadays most people got the Internet at their access. If they just want to go to www.gloomis.com or another thing, they can call uh, 1-800-G-Loomis. All right. Excellent. It's just that easy. Well, Brian, thanks so much for your time and, and for all the information on helping us uh, dissect and break down some of these rocks. Oh, man, it was my pleasure. I enjoyed it. All right, well, I tell you, Aaron, I got to tell you, I really like the way he was talking about as far as snapbacks and really the sensitivity, sensitivity of our rods because I get it. When you're drop shotting like you do out 20, 30 feet, you really need something that's going to be able to, you're going to need to feel the slightest twinge on that rod tip. No question, no question. And, you know, the, the talking about the snapbacks, the reason why I like those is because, A, uh, not only are they lighter, but you don't have to worry about it. One of the most frustrating things are is when you're fishing and you've got this time, whether it's a tournament or just a fishing trip, you go and you bend down over the front deck of your boat to pick up a rod and you got an eye busted out and the ceramics mm-hmm. torn out of it and you can't use it because that guide will cut uh, without that ceramic in there, we'll cut your line and it'll, it'll braise that. So anyway, I thought that was a great point. The other thing is, is just talking about the, the sensitivity, like you had mentioned, and the composition. You know, it's kind of what you, you get what you pay for. And, um, you know, I think they do a, a really good job of providing quality, but also identifying all price points to make sure that, um, you know, a person is going to, from the beginning angler, is going to have a quality rod in their hands without having to, you know, pay a, a, an enormous amount of money. Well, and I know firsthand that G. Loomis stands behind their rods. If you have any problems, they want to know about it. Sure, and, you know, that warranty situation that they have with that expedite uh, warranty where you can spend the 50 bucks, they ship you a, a brand-new rod, no questions asked, uh, regardless if you slam it in your garage door or whatever. Um, that's pretty strong. Yeah, I've done that before. Yep. Yep. Well, I tell you what, we're out of time again, but next week we're going to have FLW competitor Terry Bolton, Jr. in from Kentucky, 
And you think he's going to talk a little bit about uh, smallies, or do you think it's all going to be largemouth? You know, I don't know. Terry's just such a diverse and talented angler. Who who knows? Uh, you know, I, I kind of gave him free reign to, uh, when he calls in with us, we're just we're going to get into, I'm hoping he's going to spend some time on structure fishing. Well, I would think so, because Kentucky Lake and Barkley down in his <laughs> neck of the woods. I mean, Kentucky's got a lot of structure. That's right. That's right. So there you go. Hey, folks, we're also going to have all your questions, and we'll be giving away some other great stuff. Don't forget to email us at BassEdge.com, BassEdge.com, and get into that contest that Aaron and I talked about earlier. We want to see if we can get the Midwest folks fired up like the East and uh, the West Coast folks are on our podcast giveaways, and we want to make sure that you do that. Go to www.BassEdge.com. For Aaron Martin, this is Outdoors Dan. Thank you so much for listening to The Edge this week. We'll see you next time. This week's edition of Bass Edges, The Edge, has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Locker Bar Boat Security Systems, and MegaWare Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com.